Coming up, writer and producer Mitch Glazer joins Ileana here in studio for I Blame Dennis Hopper, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV shows. Well, hello, everyone. It's Ileana Douglas. Welcome to our Christmas edition here of I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. Wait a minute. You are not Tamara Berg. I'm not Tamara. The audio listeners are like, did Tamara get a cold? <laughs> I am I'm actually very honored and flattered to be here, Ileana. Thank, Thank you. you so much. You know, I'm already a huge fan of the show. I'm producing in the booth usually. That's right. But... This is Jeff Graham, yes. who's, who's, who is on it whenever we need our clips and trailers and sound bites. And, uh... and luckily, I'm a huge film nerd and a huge yes. Ileana fan and a huge Mitch Glazer fan. So you guys chose a very great show for me to hop in and uh, ruin the show. And you helped out and brought snacks. I did. I brought a loaf of bread. So Which I love. <laughs> we are the, we're the snack uh, podcast. Okay, we yes. got to do this quickly because we have such a big show. Many things to... Um, to talk over this week as we usually do just uh, 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 a sweet goodbye to uh, director Penny Marshall yeah. just a, an amazing icon and contributed so much uh, was the first female director to crack the 100 million dollar ceiling mm. and such great films like A League of Her Own yeah. which as I'm always saying I'm not really sure why it's not in the AFI top 100 I love that movie yeah. Yes, A League of Her Own, uh, The Preacher's Wife, uh, Big, which mm-hmm. I think is another. But my personal favorite is Awakenings. I've Ar- actually never seen Awakenings. Oh, I need God. to. I know. Don't plan on going anywhere afterwards. It is a tearjerker. It's uh, just an you know an incredible movie and her her legacy in Hollywood. And it's just it's so sad. These directors like Nora Ephron, who's mm. gone, and Penny Marshall were were there in the you know, in the 90s, really demonstrating that women could handle all sorts of uh, genres, and she will certainly be missed um, part I, of the... Yeah, I think, Fisher like Circle. Nora, Penny Marshall really had a distinctive voice in her movies, and it's I miss that time when you did have, like, the $30 million original movie. That was yeah. a story that starts and ends when you leave. It's not a franchise. Yes. And well, that will be so missed, because we, we have these amazing female directors now, you know, like... Tamara Jenkins, or but even those movies, if if she's on a big franchise movie, you don't always get the chance to really put your directorial voice in there. Yes, her so. relationship with Tom Hanks. You know what's interesting about she did um, Big, mm-hmm. and then a couple movies. He did a couple movies that didn't do so well, and yeah. so when she was going to do A League of Her Own, he hopped on board that train. And, wow, and got his career back on track. Such a good movie. So that was a good thing. Okay, in other news, uh, thank. We're going to make some changes coming up in... I love change. Yes. No, I don't. I hate change. I love change <laughs> for uh, the new year with the show. And so look forward to that. And um, I spent time uh, reading the reviews, which are like 98% positive, but I like to concentrate on the negative reviews. <laughs> so... Um, just a heads up to the to the fellow who wrote that I interrupt my guests. That's I'm Italian, so like <laughs> I know you think I'm interrupting, but that's basically that's talking in Italian. It's perfect. It's it's the conversational. You know, if you want a less conversational, you can always go to NPR. But this is this is a conversation where we're I, eavesdropping. Yes, I wish Terry Gross wouldn't would have interrupted me when I <laughs> we wouldn't have these deadly uh, kind of pauses. But uh, I get so excited. Um, you know, interviewing the people. And oftentimes, sometimes I actually know the person. So, um, but uh, I'm, I I will be, I'll be, I'll sort of try to be aware of that. Not really. Not too much. I was going to say, I don't want to lose the magic we already have. So. No, I know. (laughs) I like to read criticism and then just deny it exists. Perfect. Uh, (laughs) And then in other news, talking about what we're doing for the holiday uh, season in terms of watching uh, movies. First of all, my marathon academy viewing. I do try to see a lot of the movies uh, outside, but then a lot of 
the movies go first. Uh, this is my system. They first go to my 85-year-old mom, <laughs> who is a great movie critic. So she watches everything first. So she watched Roma, and then she gives me her review on it, and then I watch it. So and would then we talk about it. Would you ever record a podcast of you two reviewing a movie? Because oh God, I would love it. I would love it, too. And honestly, all you've got to do is just take out your phone and record it. But we'll put that on the podcast stream. The best ever was, uh, I remember there was a movie a couple of years ago um uh, the oh god the german actor and he played a sex addict mm. can't think of the movie not fast not michael fassbender it shame. is shame, shame. Yeah. thank you sir yeah. thank you jeff graham uh and so i'd seen the movie and i i wanted to say to my mom like oh by the way mom don't watch shame cause it's gonna be really she goes Oh, I saw it. Been there, done that. You know, I forget. Like my mother, they were hippies in the '60s, so right. nothing is going to uh, to shock them. But so we, but so we disagreed on the Paul Schrader movie. I with, haven't seen it yet. First Reformed. Yes, not, I've heard it's wonderful. But I, I loved seen it. it. Yeah, my mother did not like it. Okay, I need to see it. Uh, we agreed on Roma. Mm-hmm. We were both a little, you know, without the grand visual effects. I don't know if. Uh, uh, I don't know. I just was not, you know. I was talking with someone about Roma, and you're a writer, Ileana, and yes. I don't think Roma's really a writer's movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like a very filmic kind of cinem- cinem- cinematography it's a memory. movie. memory. Memory yeah. piece. But I think I'm also a writer, so I like watching movies with great dialogue and, you know, a really strong narrative thrust. And I think Roma tells its story in the pictures, yes. which that's not always to my taste as a moviegoer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's... There's not much dialogue in that movie. It's really about what you see, and I like what I hear a lot of times in a movie as well. So I just often wonder, you know, it reminded me of Ingmar Bergman doing movies about his childhood, which I really enjoyed. And But you wonder, is there a statement within it? And for some reason, I personally got bogged down by the idea of this family and the disparity in the incomes and I you know I don't know maybe that's me I'm like I should be looking at the movie and but at times it really troubled me and I, I was getting very sad for the woman as right. opposed to I was like okay I know she's the lifeblood of the family and you're elevating her but on the other hand it's like she's your well, you know domestic servant well and I felt the same way too I was troubled by that yeah I was troubled by it too and it's kind of like it's not the story we want to see right now at this very moment it's not necessarily the yeah. version of womanhood that I want to be seeing on screen it might yeah. be part of it too Maybe. yeah that's a very good point you know it's like you'd I don't know if you're watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. Yes, wonderful show. Yeah, that's an example of the female story I really want to see because it's pushing back against... It's just such a beautiful tribute to... I don't know. I I think it's... That might just be a personal taste of mine, but... Yes. I get why people are loving Roma. It just might have not really been for me. Yes. Uh, And then finally, Christmas movies... And what are you some some of your favorite? Yes, um, it's interesting because when I think of the holiday movies, mm-hmm. I think of movies that are holiday movies that I love, and movies that my family always watches during the holidays. So I love Elf. I don't know if you've seen that with Will Ferrell. Oh, wonderful, love that movie. Um, I also, of course, love Home Alone, which I know you're Home a fan Alone. Of too. I love Home Alone. I have to watch Home Alone every year. Yes, that's one of my favorites. Um, but in terms of movies that my family always watches at the holidays, yes, we love the Steve Martin Father of the Bride, the 1991. Okay, that's funny because I'm planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, nice. It's not Christmas unless yeah. I'm watching. I love it. You need those comfort food comedies, and you know the ones that our guest Mitch Glazer makes. Oh my God! I was I- saying that the PG-13 comedy. Is it yeah. really a thing anymore? You know, I, there are still good studio comedies, but they're such hard R's. And, you know, I miss sort of the That's planes, true. trains, and automobiles and the Scrooge and the movie that you. Meatballs. Yes. And I didn't, wasn't part of that. But, uh, yeah. yes, the movies that we would see as, uh, as teenagers. Right. I don't know what comedies that teenagers are seeing anymore because they're all R. either. They're all R rated. So. I actually went to see comedies with my parents, mm-hmm. you know, Mel Brooks movies oh, yeah. and Young Frankenstein and, you know, films like that. Um, the, uh, well, we're going to get to that, but the producers, do you know that Mitch Glazer's uh, uncle was a producer on The Producers? Wow. So that's another great story. Well, we should bring Mitch in to talk about uh, favorite holiday movies, which I guess this is the perfect time. Let's play a clip 
from Scrooged, which I'm going to be seeing tonight at the New Beverly Theater. So if you're in Los Angeles, Mitch will be there and uh, and come see it. Let's take a look at this trailer. Seven o'clock, Psycho sees Santa's workshop, and only Lee Majors can see this. Stop Mitch, them. we're showing the trailer. As it plays, I'm going to say that Mitch is a writer, producer, and a director. And of course, some of his best-known works are Lost in Translation, Great Expectations, Rock the Casbah, and of course, the classic Christmas film, Scrooge, which is celebrating its 30th year this year and will be playing tonight at the New Beverly. Oh, my God, now... It's Christmas. It is. Um, it's just, I was a producer on Lost in Translation. I don't want it to be, I mean, I don't want it to seem as if I wrote. Oh, wait, you have to... Sp- you have to speak into the mic, not the. You, you can you can go ahead and speak. I'm I'm. They're watching the. It's such a great trailer. Yeah, I forgot Miles Davis is in it. No, it's not. Right there. That is completely counterintuitive. (laughs) So, do you want me to have these on? Sorry. Is it going to ruin your hair? It completely. (laughs) But by the way, it's been ruined before. Good. I miss when trailers were long like this. Well, back then it was basically show the entire movie. This was all Billy. That stuff. <laughs> Literally thought he hit, she hit him. Oh, really? I was on set, almost died. This holiday season, see Bill Murray get screwed. Yay! Back off, big man. I may work with the checks, but not with me. Well, here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, Mitch Glazer, thank you so much for being here. A treat. I've been, finally. Finally. Right. I've been begging and sending treats and money, and um, it all worked. And uh, so, is it? I mean, before I get to my favorite, you know, I always ask people what the first movie they saw is. Now, that's my. Do you remember the first movie you, that you saw before we get to it, talking about uh, your films? It might have been, in, it might have been in the same era as, but Ben Hur. I remember seeing Ben Hur uh-huh. in a drive-in in Miami, um, and the mother and sister being in the caves with leprosy. Yes, kept me up till about three or four weeks ago. I mean, it completely blew my mind. And and yeah, so I remember Ben Hur. I don't remember much else about the movie except yes. weird hands coming out of a cave. And you know, you know, it's interesting about that scene because I I it scared me too. And then you watch it as an adult, it just shows one. If somebody has one line, the the it's the centurion who comes out and he goes. Lepers, <laughs> and he sells it. Well, as a kid, the the things I was afraid of. I mean, there were things I should have been afraid of, like hurricanes in Miami, or whatever. But it was it was leprosy, mm-hmm. uh, quicksand, yes, and, quicksand, and, and volcanoes. Those yeah. three things, none of which existed. Yes, you know, in the peninsula. For, I was afraid of leeches from <laughs> and the African queen. Exactly. I was <laughs> every time I would swim, I'd be. I, I'm gonna get leeches. My mother was like, "You're not. We're in a pool. Stop it." Yeah, but the leprosy, yeah, then her. But there was, you know, first of all, drive-ins were you know magic and the best, you know, with your family and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, those movies. That that movie. I remember. I was. I loved Elvis Presley movies as Mm -hmm. a kid. I don't remember how early it was, but you know, Girl Happy. Just it was shot in Fort Lauderdale, apparently, and. That was life changing. Shelley Febre and Elvis. I'll bet. Yeah. The um, now your parents were uh, teachers. My mom was a teacher. My dad was an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and interesting. I mean, to me, anyhow, he designed all the lighting for those big hotels. So the Fountain Blue, the Eden Rock, all the the classic fifties. Mm-hmm. 
uh, mid-century hotels. He did, he did the lighting for it. And um, I grew up on his shoulder walking the property of the Fountain Blue Hotel like in 56 or whatever, you know, whenever it was it was coming around. And, and, um, and my mom, meanwhile, you know, ended up being an English teacher in, at Beach High, my mm-hmm. high school. And um, her claim to fame or... I mean that's a nice way of putting it, but she was she was Mickey Rourke's uh, English teacher, um, and uh, she did an impression almost to the day she died of Mickey in, in class, which is this. <laughs> <laughs> so she has a huge memory at the top of his head from no, but and 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 to, and he did credit her often and always wow, for showing a um, uh, place in the sun. Oh. And changing his life, showing that movie in tenth grade, as he says, first real movie I ever saw. Wow. Yeah, you know, and um, and he saw Montgomery Clift, and it was like, I want to be that guy. That's amazing. Yeah. And we're going to get to that because then year, years later, you end up working with yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, that must have been strange. Now, the other <laughs> part of uh, of your showbiz family, as I mentioned in the introduction, is that your uncle was a producer. Yes, on the producers, he was the producer of the producers. Wow. And um, and it was the first movie set I was ever on. I went to the to the uh, the shooting. I was there for a week in '65. Wow. The shooting of the play within a movie. Yes, you know the the, the springtime for Hitler. Right. And um, and we you know met Mel, Uncle Mel, met Mel at the time, and and um, and the cast with you know Dick Sean and Zero and all those guys. But the the thing that I remember uh, were the showgirls because I don't know if you remember the you know they're they're all linking arms and doing all the the Busby Berkeley kind of stuff. Yes, and they were like literally they were all over six two, and I was in sixth grade, so I was like you know three two, and and <laughs> and they were wearing like you know stuck on pretzels and and beer mugs yes. and right and to see women like that you know just kind of walking around in high heels, you know defining. You said show business. I love this town. I'm in it. <laughs> I'm in it. Did you have any interaction with either Gene Wilder or Zero Mostel? Uh, less with Zero, uh, but I did. I did. We did meet him through Sydney, and Sydney had known him for going back to the Blacklist days. I mean, I'd known mm-hmm. him when he was doing stand up in Miami Beach, and and uh, my uncle Sydney was a remarkable guy. But and producing was the last of a, a million careers. I mean, it was just something he ended up falling into. But um, and Mel Mel talks about him beautifully, uh, but. Um, but Gene, I got to know well at the time, Gene Wilder. So we met, I met Gene Wilder in, in whatever that was, 65. Mm-hmm. And then weirdly, randomly, became friends with Gilda through the SNL guys and, and, and close with Gilda. So when Gene came back into that world, it was funny. I hadn't seen him in you know decades. And, and uh, Wow. Yeah. And, um, but I knew him. I knew him as a, a you know young actor. Uh, and just my uncle also produced a movie called uh, Quaxer Fortune has a cousin, excuse me, in the Bronx. I do not know that one. No, but you'll look it up. <laughs> I and will. It, it was Margot Kidder's first movie. Oh. Ever. And uh, she was dazzling. And, and, and I met Margot then as well. And she ended up, we, we ended up being good friends all the way through, you know, her life off and on. But um, uh, but I do, re- I do remember meeting uh, Jean and Margot and all those people in mm-hmm. elementary school or junior high school. So did you have a sense when you were on the set that you were going to be a writer or that you wanted to be in show business did you have any sense of direction in that not not as far as what my place would be yeah because i just thought the set was the most exciting place i'd ever seen in my life I yeah mean, i you know if someone would have paid me and i'm still trying to get that gig to just like hang around and right. you know <laughs> I, I was amazingly good at it and then and, and amusing and you know out of the way but but no just to, just to, the circus of it and the size of it and and uh you know to be to be on the other side of the camera, it was never acting ever. But to yes. be on the other side of the camera and in some capacity and 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 see it get made or help get it made, um, hit me that summer that week. I mean, I came back, uh, but I could always write. I mean, it was just one of the things I could you know that was mm-hmm. the thing I could do. So, high school newspaper kind of that guy you know. And and I remember I was in twelfth grade the features editor of my high school newspaper, and I remember the the treat was I got to review first one movies before they were released so i saw easy rider it was that year you know wow. like 69 70 mm-hmm. i graduated in 70 and and um but yeah so i could always write but but just being in the energy it still gets me i mm-hmm. mean i mean it can be enervating as you know i mean at a certain point you just want to kill yourself and be carried off the set but <laughs> but, but usually it's still it, it is exciting oh i me. always get excited yeah. i love you know i love the whole dirty business um and then so how did you went to nyu 
did you go as a writer as a English major oh I see yeah I mean I, I didn't I did I had a girlfriend who was in the film program mm-hmm. and I remember she was fairly bored with the whole thing or you know so I remember helping her with her, you know there's that first thing apparently where they give you a 60 millimeter camera or maybe it's an 8 millimeter but 60 millimeter I believe yeah and you're supposed to shoot in Washington Square Park your first movie and she just came home sobbing and I don't know what to do and I you know please and you know so we did a skateboard movie this is 1973 wow. or 4 uh-huh. and I had to be the skateboard guy <laughs> but, um, but yeah so I mean I, I, it was around obviously and also my uncle was still active but um, did you ask him for advice or I did I, I mean I you know when I graduated college I asked because he was there and, and, and he was he was doing work less less than, than initially and he sent me to meet people much too powerful to help me. You know, like right. guys that were just, you know, ahead of yes. William Morris in New York. Right. And, you know. Wait, I, do we have the same childhood? Wait a minute. That's what my <laughs> grandfather did, too. So useless. Yes. And they go, so what do you want to do? And I go. Who did you meet? I met Howard Houseman. I think that same guy. Howie Houseman. At, at, <laughs> at, 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 w, at William Morris, right? Yes. So like the top floor of that white yes. building. Yes. I was like a kid. I showed him clippings from like dinner theater. You know, I was like, go home. I showed him my Easy Rider review. <laughs> he said, brilliant, brilliant. Get up. It's your very first general meeting, and they don't get any more intentional even as you get older, right? Right. And it, that was so general that, that it was sweet that they took him. As you yes. know, they kind of had to. And, oh, but gosh. I met John Hammond Sr., the guy who signed Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. and. Um, and he was a little bit more, you know, practical saying you should be. A, he said to me, you should be a publicist. He said in the record business, then you work your way up to A&R. And, and um, but I didn't get hired. So I, I started writing. That's rock funny. Music. Yeah. So, OK, so we have to get sure. to uh, then you started working for a magazine, which came first, Rolling Stone or Crawdaddy? Crawdaddy yeah. I mean, there was a minute where I was writing for Circus and, you know, that era of, of you know, and interviewing just just the strangest groups of people. I mean, Pure Prairie League, not strange, mm. but I mean, you know, yeah. the, 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 you know, a great Billy Preston, you know, those kind of people. And, uh, you know, at that point, and then Crawdaddy was a definite step up because uh, the quality of writers, were, you know, was at another level. And, and, um, uh, and yeah, and I was, uh, it was one of those jobs where passion and, and a, a little bit of talent apparently got you everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and um, so, Quickly, by the time I was like 22 years old, I was writing cover stories, and the irritating thing for me was I was the youngest person I'd ever seen do it, and Cameron was like 14. Well, <laughs> it was like there was one fucking guy who was like a baby. I was like, you know, he was stealing my young thunder, but um, still. But um, you have better hair. Yeah, <laughs> hear that, Cameron? <laughs> um, but yeah, so and it was a great time to be to be doing that. To be first of all. You know, reading Rolling Stone changed my life, and and I wanted to get to that was like that was the top of the pyramid for me really at the time. Yeah, I wanted to write for Rolling Stone, but um, but at Crawdaddy we had an amazing group of, of of really good writers, and I brought in Michael Hare, who wrote the beautiful book Dispatches, to write for us. And um, but you could basically, I mean, the, the music business was so huge, and there was so much money, so mm-hmm. much money that they were. I mean, the way we ate literally was by going to concerts. You know, go to the bottom line, and they would give you, you know, yeah, food. And and so you know, it was it was just it was a great time to be. It was like almost famous. You know? Well, that's what it sounds like. They had the money where they could say, "Oh, we want you to do." It's like in the movies. We want you to do a profile on this person and give you a ticket. And I could come up. I mean, I interviewed, I, you know, I, people that I dreamt of meeting my whole life. So I said, they said, "Who do you want to?" This is a crawdaddy. I said, George Harrison. And so I came out here for a week. In fact, I flew out here to, to meet George, and I was like 23, I think. I mean, I'd seen the Beatles live on the Ed Sullivan Show in Miami Beach at the Deauville Hotel. My yeah. sister and I saw them, you know, play on that show, right? So I was a complete freak for them. And then, like, nine years later, I'm sitting there as peers or whatever, but, you know, yeah. as, a, as a professional. But I get off the plane from, from New York to L.A., Assuming a publicist or, or somebody from Warner Brothers is going to mm. be there to, to meet me, you know, I've been drinking heavily on the flight all the way. And, <laughs> of course. And, and, you know, because I don't like flying. But anyway, <laughs> so we land, and there's this beautiful, like, vintage Mercedes, copper colored, and George Harrison. In the, in the, <laughs> and I'm like wandering with my, with my carry on or whatever, and I go, oh, this is going to be a bad ride. I mean, and, and he was so lovely and, and uh, forgiving. 
but yeah, he took me to the hotel. He just you know met me at the at the airport. Now, at what point do you have pre questions, or do you just try to play it cool and go, "All right, all my questions are going out the window. I'm going to go on instinct." Well, like, as you know, both happen. I mean, meaning I I definitely prepared. I mean, you know, especially for those kind of interviews. I mean, I I knew I knew his career, and and I mean, I, this is just nerd stuff, but but um, safe place, man. Thank you. But I remember, I remember <laughs> actually, deep cuts. I remember actually say, is it deep cut? I feel like like a DJ. <laughs> um, I actually said to him, "How could you write a song called Warmly Guitar Gently Weeps and have Eric Clapton play lead guitar on it? It's your guitar. You're weeping. Why is he? You know, because I stuff that I've been carrying around, you know, my whole Beatles yeah. childhood. So I was prepared. But then, you know, as you know, hopefully. Um, it goes where it goes, and and uh, yeah. uh, I loved it. I mean, I I I got to interview Peter Sellers, and where I met your grandfather on the set of, of being of being there in in uh, Asheville, which was insane. Wasn't that set. that was the first set I was on? Wasn't that crazy? Yes, that, I that that's fireplace. What, yes, that's why it was like movies are magic. Mm. It was I must be in the movie somehow. <laughs> this must happen. Yes, and then you never Plus get to that house you. again. Yeah. Plus, they feed you they all did. the time. And well, that, that's been one of my like weird, funny things about movies. It's like, why do they think you're constantly hungry? Like, there's <laughs> nowhere in life does someone every hour come around and ask you if you want coffee or. It is sweet, but there is that feeling wonderful. of it's like a food trough, you know, like the yeah. the craft service is just someone dumping M and M's, and you know, And what were your impressions of Peter Sellers? Loved them. I mean, I I went to that was that was the end of the interview. The the interview started in, in Switzerland in Stad. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a beautiful chalet, you know, <laughs> with ohm on top of it, and it was summertime, and um, and it was uh, again. I mean, you know, I dreamt of meeting that guy, and he was so excited because he was going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, and 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 um, he the inter- the tapes are amazing. I played it for my daughter now, who who you know, Strange Love is her favorite movie, and and um, he did all the voices. Told me where he got all the voices. I mean, the tape is so spectacular because wow. Peter Sellers yeah. on fire. I mean, he was really, and it was his last interview. He didn't he didn't he didn't live much longer than than that piece. Yeah, I always felt he wasn't as crazy as everybody says. I, I just thought he was more misunderstood in a way. And he was much more... He's a performer. Complete, natural, one of those guys, I mean, you know, like Bill, in a way, mm-hmm. in, in similar ways. Incredibly bright, brightest guy in the room, um, well-read, and and should he see something funny, or, or then then no one can compete. It's just at another level of, you know, the way he sees the world, Sellers and Bill. Um, but I loved it. I spent, a, I spent about five days with him, and it was a great interview, and... You know, he talked about a daughter he'd never met, and you know, started to cry. We're both—it was like a Barbara Walters moment, which had never happened to me, by the way. Yeah. Um, but he was so beautiful, and and um, and then he said, "Come to the set." And so I flew, you know, not right away, but you know, like a couple weeks later, mm-hmm. when he was doing the movie, um, and uh, got to see Shirley MacLaine and, and your grandfather. And I mean, those... I thought they were pretty loose. I mean, again, I was a kid, but my grandfather loved it, and he was very good about it. Impre- he always, his whole career, even though people in the 30s and 40s think it was all written by Billy Wilder, but they did a lot of improving uh, then and changes in the script, and the set felt very loose. I thought so, too. And, and you know, Ashby, I mean, you know, it's, oh. it's just it's, doesn't get any better. And looser. Okay, uh, every, everyone on that. <sighs> Jack Warden. Incredible, right? No, was, and and you know, I, my sense of your grandfather. I mean, he was in our house anyhow, but was royalty. I mean, he was on the set, and you know, just a different thing. And you know, and Sellers' performance was mind-boggling. If anyone yeah. hasn't seen the movie, it's just he's just incredible in it. Oh, it's a beautiful. It's a yeah, I love that movie. Now, how did you get from then working at Roll, uh, from Rolling Stone to to your connection with uh, Saturday Night Live? And I had done a, I had done. I think we we actually texted each other about yeah. it, about a little bit. It was the first year of the show, and in New York, it was Chevy Chase, you know, cover of New York Magazine. Yeah. It was all Chevy, and he was really handsome and funny and and deservedly. But I kept being drawn to the big guy. I mean, I literally I watch watch the, the the sketches and go, yeah, who's that? And so at the end of the first year, <laughs> I said to my editor at Crawdaddy, I said, let's put him on the cover, and and they agreed. He'd never been on the cover before, and so I met John. Uh, fall of '76, and my it changed my life. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, through John, I met 
Billy. He introduced yeah. me to Murray and and um, and Michael O'Donohue, and everything came from him, including, um, you know, a couple of years later, uh, like three years later, sitting in his. <laughs> Danny called it the Reich Palace, but it was like a <laughs> kind of kind of Ackroyd. It was kind of a formal, you know, on Morton Street in in New York, and and for for us, it was plush. I mean, it was really something. And, yeah. and sitting in the in the living room of the Reich Palace, and um, John's on the phone with a guy named Sean Daniels who's at Universal, and this is after Animal House. And um, John says, uh, uh, "I know, I know who can write uh, Kingpin, Mitch. He's sitting right here." And apparently Sean said, great. And he puts his hand on the phone and said, do you want to write a script for me and Danny? I went, yeah. <laughs> that sounds really good. And, um, and then, of course, it was like seven years later before I got a movie made. But, but, but it, it got me in the guild and, you know, it was uh, earn while you learn. Yeah. And, and, uh, and John was, you know, the most generous. Um, to this day, it's one of the sweetest things that about my friendship with Bill mm-hmm. is that um, – there aren't that many people that we can share this stuff with of, of memories of him. Right. And so, and, and not, not in any kind of, you know, but specific. And when there was one dinner recently where Bill and, and was talking about how powerful John and generous and uh, aware he was in an improv situation on set, on mm-hmm. stage, you know, second city type thing. And, and, and uh, it, it, you know, that whole thing is about, um, you know, you only you only succeed if the person your partner does. So it, it's a very it's not like right. it's not like a knife fight in acting. It's it's very supportive and and uh, and Bill was saying, you know, I could see his mind working and saving me, Billy, in a scene. You know, just just to give it. Um, it was funny, you know, uh, around that time or when I first met John, we were in Martha's Vineyard and and um, and there was uh, July Fourth. You know, it was raining, and and the Taylor family were there, James and his brothers, and and we're all in this barn, and and you can't shoot the fireworks off them. They're doing it inside, which is maniacal. But so so John said, let's do a movie, and and Jimmy had one of those old video cameras, like TV, almost like big. Uh-huh. You know, this is seventy eight or whatever, and um, and John starts doing this thing about the 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 creature that ate uh, that attacked Martha's Vineyard, and he introduced <laughs> Danny Aykroyd or James or whatever. And I wish I had that, that footage. But when he asked me, he, you know, he made me come up, you know, and say, and I said, um, he said, so what was it like when the creature came out, came attacked Menemsha? And I said, I, I said something like, I, I never saw a creature. Or I just denied. And afterwards, he took me aside and said, don't ever, ever do that again. Yeah. He said, because if I say something happened, you go with it. Don't right. you ever deny it. Leave me staying there because you got the laugh. But at my expense, mm. I said, I'm a rock writer. I'm never going to do this again. I didn't do it the first time. But but it stayed in my head that that, that, that is how it works. Well, we were, uh, yeah, when we were texting last night, uh, I said, too, that I love him in uh, the movie 1941 because, uh, it, again, it shows such promise. And that's sort of the tragedy of you go from Animal House to... You know him going into that other movie he did, Old Boyfriends. Remember that with yeah, Talia yeah, yeah. Shire and Continental Con, Continental Divide. Continental or? Divide. Yeah, um, where he played a uh, yeah Mike Royko and so you you don't get to see. Oh, he would have done. You know, I mean, Bernie Brillstein used to say, uh, you know, Spencer Tracy. He's Spencer Tracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that was it, but it would have been. It would have been a great ride. Mm-hmm. You know, if if he'd you know gotten a scare and and stayed with us because uh, the talent was insane you also told me another interesting story about the moment where he saw his life changing which i think i've seen that too with people that realization that he's going to be it was incredible famous i mean it was incredible in that in that it's happening in real time so uh john and his wife judy uh invited me in a date to the four of us to go to the animal house premiere at the ziegfeld and this is the premiere. I mean, you know, it hadn't been played anywhere else, and it was a packed house. And you remember the Ziegfeld was enormous. It's yeah. a huge theater. And I'm sitting, Judy, John's wife, is sitting between me and John, and my date's on the other side. And, and, um, and I remember looking over because the laughter was crazy. I mean, and him. When he showed up on screen, yeah. it was as if they'd seen it. You know, like when, you, when a rock act plays hit songs that yes. no one's heard, but they cheer. It's, it's like as if they knew. Yes. And so um, I literally leaned across Judy just to see, you know, what it was doing to him. And, um, and it, you know, he was smiling and all that. But I could, you know, knowing a bit, I could just see that it was a, a moment. 
and, and, right. and then and then after that <laughs> after that there was an after party obviously you know and um we're all sitting at the four of us sitting at the table and obviously just the world is on him and and he says uh you know entertain the girls i'm gonna go use the john and like 20 30 minutes go by and judy says would you go in there and see you know get him out so i go you know god knows what, so i walk into the <laughs> into the bathroom and the windows open a crack and he's gone Wow. I mean, he just, it was just too much. I mean, it was just, he needed, I assume. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, in to see it, to see that movie landing squarely on him because he could, you know, he was a smart man. He knew his life had changed that, that moment. Yeah. Know? One raised eyebrow. Amazing. The best. Yeah. Yeah. Just connected with the audience. Um, and so then how, in, how did that, you knew him before you knew, uh, Bill. Yes. And were you writing on the show too? No, or you just were around. No, and and I was still a magazine writer. And mm-hmm. and um and the way he introduced me to to Bill, it was it, you know I was up at eight H or whatever with John, and he looked past me over my shoulder, so I had to turn around and said and wave somebody over, mm-hmm. and he waved Bill over, and and John said, Mitch, this is the new kid, Bill, and I'll never forget because both of us are now not kids, but I mean I, the John's was so protective and you know because he was a Chicago guy and, he, and John was tight with Brian Doyle Murray his older brother and it was like you know Billy was the new kid and it was you know it was a few years after that that he that Bill and I when we did Scrooge was like eight years later or something mm-hmm. seven years later but um but yeah so I I was doing magazine writing and then at one point I was up at SNL as a writer for a minute because um, John literally insisted on it he said you know this is a rite of passage you have to do this and I was like okay and 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 uh they hired me and Michael to be writers on the show, O'Donohue. But it was during that, it was during that <laughs> bridge moment. So it was like the Piscopo, Eddie Murphy, the, you know, Lauren yeah. had left and mm-hmm. it was Gene Domanian and, and I, f- I forget, or somebody else. And so I lasted until the writer's strike. And it, it, writing in a, a, you know, like a Dick Van Dyke table situation, yeah. writing jokes, you know, wasn't for me. I, it was, <laughs> I just couldn't do it or didn't like it. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about Michael O'Donohue, which, again, it's so sad. Like, I don't think, again, people really even remember, I mean, when I was a kid and watching the show, and he was even, the writers were sort of featured yeah. part of the well, show. The well, writers became writer. stars. Exactly. <coughs> and um, and his impact. He was like the dark one. He, he the dark was, guy. He was. But, you know, as most of those people are, um, I find sweetest underneath it i mean the, the most thoughtful loyal great friend i mean i was best man at his wedding and he was at mine and and uh you know he was he was one of three guys in my life uh, that i loved he was like family and 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 completely dark and insane i mean i sometimes try to figure out how he would function how he would how he would not get killed in today's world literally <laughs> because he's so crazy i mean when i first met him i was doing the piece on belushi and I said to John, who, who should I talk to? You know, who else? And he said, Michael, you know, and, and so I go down the hall at, at SNL and the, it's middle of the day, but all the blinds are drawn like Godfather coming through the slats and all that. And, <laughs> and he's sitting behind his desk with these round mirrored shades he wore. And the entire wall, uh, the entire wall is covered with nude amputees, <laughs> naked, amputated women oh my god and it was like you know whatever but but you know but and to to him to me it was like i could he could talk to me i was going wow i mean where do you even find them all but, <laughs> but but he had and um so he yes he was the prince of darkness and and his stuff on the on on snl was i mean he kept it in that really uh revolutionary kind of insane you know, road as, and, mm-hmm. and if a, if a sketch happened once or t- twice, over two times, Michael, you know, felt that it was just a greatest like a band just playing their hits, and we got to keep moving. And he was, um, but we met, we started working together because yeah. How did you become partners? I'd interviewed him uh, for this article and started the the, the Crowdaddy cover. I, I described him. I said um, Michael O'Donoghue was like a chemist in a Marseille heroin lab who sells children on the side, <laughs> and that was the first line. And he was like, you know. We have to work together, and, and, and <laughs> clearly. But um, so so we did. At one point, Lauren wanted to do the fourth. They had three Saturdays a month. Saturday Night Live was on three times a month. The fourth was dark. NBC gave him the month at that time slot, and so he wanted to do uh, a show. So he asked Michael to do this thing called that Michael came up with called Mr. Mike's Mondo Video, 
And so Michael put together a team of myself, Emily Prager, Dirk Wittenborn, and Michael, the four of us, to to do this kind of super dark, perverse, you know, black comic mm-hmm. thing, a, a parody of Mondo Kani, you know, where they would travel the right. world looking for the the odd, the outre, and all that. And we did one, and the censors came up. I'll never forget it. And when they walked out, they turned to Michael and went, this will never get on the air, ever. So figure something else out, because the, there's no trim. This is insane. <laughs> we can't let this exist. <laughs> and so he went to bed for like a while, Michael, you know, Aww. under the covers, and sleep, used to sleep like like this. <laughs> and um, and uh, But ended and ended up coming out, and, and uh, you know, the, the there was a place, there was actually news articles about it, because it was in Baltimore, because the headline said, we got Billy and... Uh, Carrie Fisher and mm. Gilda and all these, you know, all, all the SNL people yeah. it, it, to be in it. But in it in a sense of like little moments in it, but the, the marquee would have their names. So people would go assuming it was going to be one of those movies. And then when it wasn't, I mean, in Baltimore, they they literally pulled a ticket taker who refused to give uh, refunds out <laughs> of his booth and beat him up. <laughs> like the, the crowd was so, uh, so oh, yeah, that's man. how we met Michael. And then Love it. we wrote a script together Michael and I did called Arrive Alive and that was shut down in in Miami a whole other story but but Art Linson wrote about it in his book and, and it was it was I mean a major motion picture and, and then um, so we wrote that and then Scrooge came out of that so uh, we Michael and I had written together for a while yeah I mean, and we'd written a script in between and stuff and and um, but and truthfully with Scrooge even when we wrote it because it mm-hmm. was at the time uh pretty dark for a Christmas movie you know pre-Bad Santa it was pre that's what I was going to say yeah, yeah. It, was, it was 1988 when we first turned the draft in um, Paramount was not thrilled w- with us or with the script or it was only because Billy read it and um, did you know that he was going to be the star or you just wrote the script first we wrote the script but we wrote we wrote for his voice because mm-hmm. it, first of all it's a voice that comes really e- easily and what, what would you call his voice I just want to hear your um, how would I deadpan sardonic well, yeah and also just the the, the the rhythm of it i mean you know like writing a line like um have you tried staples i mean you know <laughs> the, the, it's him so it's, it's you know dead. i mean we, we we heard him and and uh <laughs> whether he was going to do it or not and also yeah it was after ghostbusters and and uh he was in a walk the biggest movie star around and yeah and um and comedy it was it was his world but he'd taken five years off and, and you know, gone to Paris and had mm-hmm. a child, another child. And we never thought we'd really get him, you know. But uh, but he read the script and, and from Friday to Monday, it was like all of a sudden Paramount's, come on back, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. We love it. We love it. And, Do you uh, feel like the studio was hesitant because it's such a satire of Hollywood specifically? Like, it's a takedown of studios and you're pitching it to a studio. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, it was a TV centric world that we yeah. were having. I mean, it's, it's, it's splitting hairs, but I think that that's something that, that maybe helped not, and it wasn't like a, a Hollywood studio. It was NBC or right. a version of that. Um, but it was really all about Bill. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I, the, the script was, you know, it was really strong and, and people were responding to it beautifully, but, but we didn't back down very much. And, and so, um, you know, it, it took the muscle of the biggest movie star of the day to it sounds crazy now but 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 you know it wasn't it's a wonderful life it was darker and stranger right. and and uh i mean i remember you know the the mouse coming out of john forsythe's the back of his head <laughs> not my idea that was pure pure o'donohue i went i think kids are gonna have a problem with that. <laughs> I really, that could be a that could be a pg-13 <laughs> moment and um uh but yeah I, you know so he bill never blinked and and um i mean there were some funny, you know, funny moments in the run up to the the, the movie actually getting made. We, mm-hmm. you know, Michael and I were in New York, and they they fly us out, put us up in a in a hotel, and obviously, and and to have these you know notes meetings with Sidney Pollock and Bill and you know networking, I mean, studio executives and all that stuff. And we were nervous. I mean, because yeah. it's our first, we're getting close to getting a movie made. Um, but Michael said. <laughs> You have to be bold. We have to sail into this. So we got matching Corvettes that neither of us could drive. It was like completely embarrassing. Like two red, red and a black Corvette. I think we could get out of, out of the parking lot. It was like, you know, but because um, we were trying to, you know, be be dynamic. And um, but yeah, we we had a we had a, 
you know, at one point, Bill was really, it was after Tootsie, Billy really wanted Sydney to direct it, Paula. Yeah. And um, so we had a meeting at Sydney's house, several, I mean, a week, I believe, to mm-hmm. go through the script. And, and, uh, and you know, as we were saying, Sid, nobody better. And he was, yeah, this is right great. after Out of Africa. And, and uh, you know, he, he was. He's so direct. And he's, he's just a, he's a man. He just knows problems. and Exactly so. And as I said, I do remember, like, on Thursday, we'd been through several days, and we just, like, crawl back to the hotel because it was so nervous making and you know we were trying to keep this thing you know we just saw how great it could be mm-hmm. and um and uh and i remember like on, it was around thursday uh sydney said at one point um well i just don't think the ghost would say that and o'donoghue went it's a fucking ghost <laughs> how do you know what the ghost would say sydney I say the ghost would say that, and, and I remember going, "Oh, this is not going well." <laughs> you know, we were at the table, and then, and then, literally, the next thing Michael says is, "And Sydney with a Y? What are you, a Vegas stripper? What is that? What's, Sydney is S I." You know, so we'd hit the wall, and and but fortunately, Great. Sydney Sydney laughed, and um, and uh, and we moved on. We kept, you know. Well, so another highlight of the film is the crazy cast. Insane. It is so. I think that when we look back, I mean, one of the joys I always have late night television, you're watching movies from the 80s and 90s, you're like, everybody's in this movie. Mm. Now it seems like there's only two people in the movie and you don't get to enjoy, you know, these the great supporting cast of players. Well, I could be wrong, but I think it's the first movie Buddy Hackett and John Hausman were in together. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to check IMDb, but I think they, you know. It's the first time anyone's ever put them together, but <laughs> but oh because God. you had the TV show within the, yeah. the, the the movie, um, it had to be the biggest, sleaziest, weirdest uh, <laughs> Irwin Allen of comedy cast ever, right? Um, and, and and it was. I mean, there were moments where people would be walking past each other. I just go, okay, you know, when you have Robert Mitchum, who you work with as well, Robert Mitchum and and Jamie Farr sitting next to each other. Yeah, it was worlds colliding. I mean, and and Mary Lou Retton practicing her thing, and <laughs> you know, I had to walk off set sometimes. It was crazy. Uh, now, a couple stories. Now, you must. I, now, I know you have a story about because uh, I've heard it from Mr. Murray himself about uh, Buddy Hackett on, on unrestrained profanity. I worked with him. I, I amazing. Yeah, in, in fact, in, in a kid's family inventive. movie. Yeah, <laughs> it was so demented. He, he we were doing a scene where. And Billy loves telling this story because it was insane. Where he's trapped at the top, and if you if you know the movie, he's going to flick the coin down to the little kid, and yes. and so there are all these street urchins <laughs> or whatever, but little child actors and their mothers and, ga- and guardians and stuff around, and he's he's up there, buddy's up there, three stories high, um, and they leave him up there. Everybody goes on break or something, and because he's all in makeup and he's kind of been framed and everything, he's up there. And he goes, he went completely crazy <laughs> and started screaming a level of profanity that, you know, it was so specific and horrible yeah. that 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 oh, people were really rushing kids off the set. They were carrying <laughs> children, hands on things. And he was like, what are you thinking? And he'd be like, you know, and Billy, Billy was on the set going, buddy, you know, just looking up at him. But he was un- uncontrollable. Oh and, my goodness! And uh, and also uh, Robert Mitchum. Any great any uh, Robert Mitchum stories? We just you know, truthfully, we, we were such you know fans and and uh, in awe um, that just we just kind of buzzed around and Michael and I trying to trying to service whatever. You know. I do love the little thing where you said, "I need some business." Yeah. So we're, he's sitting there. He's about to do the scene where where he's sitting with with Bill at the um, lunch table, and it's Bill and the other guy and 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 uh, Mitchum, and he says to me and Michael, um, "You boys have any business for me here? You got any business?" And I I remember looking at Michael, going, "What's he talking about? Like business?" I mean, he said, "You know, any business?" And and I said, "I I don't have any business for you." And Michael said, "I knew a, a I had a boss who used to clean his silverware um, before he ate," and Mitchum's like his eyes lit up. And he went, "Yes." That's it. Get me a napkin or whatever. And 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 if you watch it, he is doing that. He's actually, and it, uh, you know, it pulled focus from everybody. And when you watch the scene, for me now, it's only about the silverware cleaning. Can't wait. I can't wait to see it tonight. I'm gonna laugh. And the uh, the other story you told me is how you guys had to rework the ending of the of the film. Yeah. In the because you said you ran into problems. You needed a uh, an ending, and then you guys went back to the apartment and. No, they, uh, well, you no. Know, it, it's it's funny. It's it's a, it's a, something that happened to me on, on the recruit. But but um, but we did we did work on uh, 
You tell, on the, 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 epi- the epi- there was like an epiphany. You said that that's the one day in New York that everybody is. Well, yeah, we that was that that was happening while we were writing. That was before oh. the, before shooting. We got to you know chronologically move through the script. We started in the in winter in New York, and then it was July because it was just taking forever. And 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 we, you know, Michael and I, we just wanted to kill each other. And it was hot, and we're in his apartment, and we're at that moment where uh, you know Ebenezer Scrooge comes back from the dead, and and. And we looked at each other and said, okay, what, what can we say that isn't complete bullshit? You know, mm-hmm. what can we say that, you know, you know, it's just a beautiful time of year. Everything we said was so so unauthentic, inauthentic, and wrong. And, and we finally hit on that thing, which is Christmas Eve in New York. People are nicer to each other. And, it was, and I looked at Michael and I said, well, that's a miracle. I mean, it, it, which it is. And, and literally, <laughs> as you're walking down the streets, people are, hey, how are you? All of a sudden, it like, becomes like a little village. And, yeah. Um, and so we, we wrote for one night. And uh, we were the people we always hoped we would be. Um, and then looked at each other and went, well, that's kind of Capra-esque. I mean, that re- it really felt like a, something we could stand behind, even though we, we distilled it down to one night. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I was always really proud of, you know, the great thing about having... Uh, Dickens, the master, uh, you know, plot man ever, um, is that we had the structure and we knew where it was going to go. I mean, you know, yes. you're going to get to that moment of, of redemption. Yeah. And and so it was the gift of that. But for us, you know, getting to that place and then having Frank Cross, you know, Bill's character say something real um, took us a while. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and we never changed. Once we wrote that thing, we never... We never tweaked it, or that—that that was exactly how it was the day we wrote it. You know? oh, I can't wait to see it tonight. Or is it? Do you have a favorite scene for yourself? Uh, the only scenes that that completely destroy me—that that that, um, that I'm horrified by—are the ones I'm in, <laughs> because Donner insisted in some perverse, you know, the boys. He called. You, I still don't think he knows my name, but it's just you know, me and Michael were the boys. Um, we had to be in the in the movie. And so Michael has a scene as a priest, you know, and his is kind of dignified and, and he's reading, you know, whatever from the Bible. Yeah. I was supposed to do, it was supposed to be like a Hitchcock kind of walk through a party scene. And then by the time we shot it, there were four people on a couch and I was one of them. So it was, there's nowhere to hide. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> completely terrified and awful. And so tonight, I mean, there was a flop sweat dread that hits me as we, because they were screaming at me, you know, from behind the camera, Donner's, you know, lighten up, have fun. I'm going, I just, I'm in hell. I can't wait. Yeah. It'll it'll, it'll amuse you. I think you're going to, I predict some uh, applause. Um, (laughs) So. I thought you were going to say work from that. (laughs) Well, no, that, after that, after that, I mean, everything was set. Now. What's really surprised me is that you would also do the script for Great Expectations. Poor Dickens. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, how did that come about with Art Linson? Yeah, same producer. And, um, you know, I think... Get the Dickens guy. I, I don't want to minimize, you know, <laughs> the genius behind it. But I think some of it had to do with um, it was free and public domain. I'm not exactly oh, sure. It might not be now, but at the time, you didn't have to pay the Dickens. It was It was like, a you know, just existed like, yeah. you know... Don Quixote or something and, and uh, as a classic uh, but yeah and and I you know I took it and again you know you have a surplus of plots because Dickens is a master the master and you know so I had I went through the, 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 the original t- text a million times and to me the heart of it was the love story and so that's what I focused on and, and uh, um, I'm really proud of it I, I, I you know uh it has a it has a magic to it that Alfonso uh, Cuarón obviously brought to it. Mm-hmm. It was his second movie. Um, he wasn't, you know, he spoke English well and all that. But I, but but I, I write in such a kind of of the moment then anyhow idiomatic way um, that you know it was it, it there it wasn't like a natural fit. But visually, I mean, you look at Roma as well. I mean, he's he's operating at another level, and Chivo shot it, and uh, yes. so and, and the cast was amazing and. Um, you know there were there were there were moments of that that I really I really remember and I I I was proud of it I loved doing it and 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 it's amazing because there's a certain generation of usually woman actually but but who that was their um, love story that was mm-hmm. their coming over and I can tell you know when they hear it you know that that you know they're in their late 30s or early 40s and it's just they get all you know that because it was so romantic in its way and and uh, 
Um, and I said it where I grew up. I mean, I said it originally. It was Miami, but it became Sarasota, Florida, and right. Um, and then in New York, Soho art world that I knew. And and um, yeah, but but and it's interesting because in this country, in in, in England, where you think they'd be so protective of Dickens, they were really uh, loving it, and and mm-hmm. the reviews were wonderful, you know, across the board. Here, they were all, the critics were more. Um, how dare he kind of thing, you know, uh, updated or, and there was a moment where I wanted to call it something else just to avoid all of that, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, but you know, 20th wouldn't, they liked great expectations and, um, but it's about, I think it's like 22 years old now and it, it stands, it holds up. So, and then, uh, another reviewer films, uh, the, the recruit is starring Al Pacino and directed by Roger Donaldson. So you, after Michael passed away, then you became a, like a solo writer. Yeah, actually, Great Expectations. I was already thinking of for myself, mm-hmm. um, you know. But I wanted to work with Michael again, obviously as well. And and um, but yeah, Michael passed away in '92, uh, and it was good because not that he passed away, but it was good that I'd already started thinking about writing alone. And uh, um, when we wrote together, it was excruciatingly slow right. I mean, you know there are moments moments I just went wow and we you know we're, it just took a long time the results were always great or interesting yeah. but uh, I, I just write I wrote faster and and um yeah great expectations felt like something I wanted to do alone anyhow uh but then yeah afterwards I, I started you know um those scripts after that were were just me mm-hmm. yeah and um yeah the recruit was really cool because Colin Farrell was a kid he's 25 a madman in those days and and just the most charismatic charming it's like i always wanted to know what it'd be like to work with you know that generation of albert finney you know oliver reed kind of wild brit yeah. guy irish brit he'd kill me for saying brit but you know from <laughs> from, from from the isles yes um and i got my taste of it because he was you know he was all that and more and uh you know just still a friend i just and i love his work his recent stuff but and i got to meet and and write for and work with um pacino which was silly and uh you know we had a table read you know the the, the actual whether this movie is going to go forward because i've been rewriting and rewriting the script i came onto it and and al was going to come and do this table read and his reaction to it would either make the movie or not mm. you know how he liked it so the the entire everybody you know all the department heads are at this long table in in uh, toronto and Al walks in all in black with a long black overcoat. And, <laughs> I mean, basically, we're just shitting. It's like, you know, wow. And he comes in, and and the, he and Colin sit at the head of the table, and we start the read-through. And, I'm, you know, it, it's, it was heavy pressure. And we start the read-through, and about three pages in, Colin looks at, him, looks at, uh, at Al and goes, isn't he fucking gorgeous? Don't you? I just want to throw my leg over and hump him. <laughs> You know, and we're at the end of the table, and I went again. Oh Lord! And and uh, Al completely loved it, loved him because it was just you know Al's done something great in the read yeah. and, and Colin couldn't control himself. So then we ended up making the movie, thank God. And and uh, and they were great together. And 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 Al and I had that week I wrote you about last night. Where yeah, rewriting with Al Pacino. Yeah. I mean, that's you it know. was crazy, and it was crazy because. You know, we he, every night I we do this work in his office on uh, you know in uptown, and I'd go home to the hotel and 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 write it up, and you know it was a collaboration in a great way. And then he would do it the next day, and every single version was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, so so at one point he'd say to me, you know, what do you think? Is this working? I went, you're Al Pacino. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's all working. You know, I was settled on Monday. We went through to Friday, and and um. Yeah, it was a dream. It was it was it was great working, you know, with him for him. Um, and then you also directed Passion Play. Yes, then you, is this was this your only time directing? Yes, it is. And how, how did how did you feel about the transition to well, directing? You know, the the script was really um, beautiful, humbly, and 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 it was based on falling in love with Kelly, but it was magical. Realism, I guess, you know, searching for the most pretentious way to describe it. But it, it, it was about a girl, a carnival girl with wings. Uh, and it was just too ambitious. I mean, I, in other words, I, I'm still proud of it and I'm proud of the attempt of it. And the cast, you know, everybody read the script and bought mm-hmm. into it. was an amazing cast. Um, you know, Billy and Mickey Rourke and Megan Fox was wonderful in it. And um, Risa Fons and Kelly and deep into the into the, the cast. It was beautiful. Um, and uh 
I had, you know, uh, Chris Doyle, the great Chris Doyle, who'd done Wong Kar Wai movie shooting it. And so it was a beautiful mounted thing. We didn't have the money we needed. And really, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's one of those things where you go to you go to special effects people and, or whatever and say, I need wings, but I need them to be dirty and not angelic. They have to look like a bird, like she's a freak. And, mm-hmm. and, and they go, wings are so easy. It's a joke. And then as soon as we started to, like, shoot and everything they sent me was so terrible, <laughs> I went... Oh God! You know this is going to be, and so we had like 215 effects shots in a 14 million dollar movie, and and me as a first time director, and but there, you know, I, there are things about it. I love it. I love it as a child. I love it all the way through, and and yeah. and and uh, um, and I would do it again. And in fact, when I was doing Magic City, the TV series, mm-hmm. as showrunner, um, not to diminish the directing because obviously they're directing, but but it's a the Uber director, in a sense, you know, where you're on set, you set the tone and and, right. and all that. So, uh, you know, I really I didn't direct any episodes, but but I felt like I had in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the writer is directing television. You know, I think TV is different than film. The showrunner is the director of a TV show. It, it really, in essence, yeah. and and you know, and not to marginalize or diminish what what the, I and mean, I had great directors. You know, all these Game of Thrones guys and beautiful uh, work, but. But yeah, it's much more collaborative and much more you know writer driven, obviously. Mm-hmm. And in my case, I was on set always. I right. mean, I, I just I just was. So, um, so someday you know it'd be it'd be cool to do again. And and uh, I just wouldn't be. And it was so great because you know we 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 were at the Toronto Film Festival. Movie got into the Toronto Film Film Festival, and uh, and Bill and my my friend Graydon Carter and people came. You know, the cast obviously was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Billy hugged me afterwards. He's sitting behind me with his son. He said, "That's beautiful. I'm so glad I did it." And and to tell you how stand up he is, I had an actor fall out of the third lead in that in that movie over Christmas, mm-hmm. and the producers went nuts. It's like it wasn't a casual part; it was the villain, you know, the heavy. And um, and Bill called. It was like two days before, like now. It was right before Christmas. What's going on? <laughs> I said, uh, well, you know, do you like directing? I said, yeah, I love it. He said, but I lost this this actor. And he said, well, what's the part? I said, well, it's this guy, and he's a gangster, and can I read it? I went, yeah, sure. And and I sent him, because as you know, you never know where it's going in the void, but he knew that there was a time right after the holidays yeah. where we were going to start shooting again. And like six, seven hours later, he called and after he got it. Mm-hmm. It was the next day. It was football Sunday. I was amazed he called, and he said, okay I'll be there when do you need me and I said I think January 3rd he said okay I'll be there and he was and and no, no deal no it was it was astounding really because I was c- truly screwed wow yeah well you guys have such a touching relationship and uh, uh, the, the behind the scenes too you've been super helpful to me always uh, you know you're such a, you're so grounded to me like you seem uh, to me who's had such an amazing career and yet you stay humble and grounded i'm i'm I, and enthusiastic and i really admire well i love it i love that. doing it and and also when you're when you when you're working with as you know when you're working with people who at that level um it's just it's just you know it's an education but an inspiring but it, you'd have to be insane to be not humble. You know? Well, no, but when you're starting out, I think that the big thing for people is, you know, sometimes you talk to veterans and they're like, get out of the business. You know, and <laughs> yeah. it's really not Save what yourself. You, you don't really want to hear. So when you hear about other struggles or stories or the things that cheer you up, you know, it, it, it's a, the same enthusiasm. Well, you it's, know. you know, I, I, it sounds like, uh, you know, you know my my first time in the big city but i mean that that day michael and i both and we were pretty cynical you know or whatever you know new york writers the day we saw all those trucks and and you know the the production that scrooge was yeah. taking over new york city and it was blocks of stuff we were like giddy i mean I, you know yeah. really there was nothing cool about us we were going oh my god and michael kept calling it the big train <laughs> glazer the big train's rolling <laughs> and um but you know so yeah it was hard to get jaded and and uh I still love it. I mean, you know, and uh, and that, it, which is a joy. And I live with an actor, and so, you know. Uh, Wonderful Kelly Lynch. The magical Kelly Lynch. Now, is it true you secretly rewrite her dialogue when she, for movies? <laughs> I wish you'd, would you do that for me. Too? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to call you upset. Yeah. On the show that I can't say that I'm on yet. <laughs> That's crazy. I can't say. 
Okay. Well, it's exciting. At least I'm working. Yeah, and working at a at a, at a beautiful show. But but uh, but yeah. So I, I I still love it. And and you know, our daughter is a you know the smart one. She's in animation, and um, Shane and is a writer in the Shira, which is a reboot of that of that you know '85 show that's caught fire. And she's mm-hmm. in the writer's room, and poor thing. And uh, you know, I thought I thought hearing me you know, wine and thrash in the office would have just cured her of that. But she was apparently, you know, you know, impressed. And so she's now she does it too. Well, my dear Mitch Glazer, thank you so much for being here tonight. You're going to be at the new Beverly. It sounds like a Vegas act, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're, yeah, they're showing it in, in, in uh, In 35, in 35, they got a print from Paramount. And Quentin uh, Tarantino asked if I would do a Q and a, which is, and for me, it's a, a, like this, you it's must. A, it's a joy to do, and also to celebrate Michael. You know, as you say, people should know how how amazing uh, he was and his work is. And um, can I tell one Quentin, Quentin Tarantino story? Sure, go for okay, it. Okay, so so this is before this is before I met him, and I don't I don't know Quentin well, but but and I have to really think about his name because my friend Jerry Harrington, the late Jerry Harrington, who was amazing, uh, was a manager, and he was Nick Cage's manager, and he told me the story that he was in Ed Lamada's office. Uh, I guess at William Morris or wherever wherever it was at the time, mm-hmm. the legendary, you know, uh, you know, actors actors agent, and he was with uh, Nick and and Ed Lamada was trying to show apparently how connected he was to like the new breed directors and this is this is years ago, and at one point he turns and, and he says to his, his assistant David, get me Trenton Quarantino on the phone, <laughs> and. Literally now, I have to stop before I say his name because Trenton Quarantino is exactly what's in my head. Um, so yeah, Trenton. I don't think he'll be there tonight. But it kind of sounds right though. Doesn't like, it? Trenton? It's just close enough that Quarantino. I would. I don't know if even he would notice. You know, Trenton. <laughs> Fantastic. But yeah. So tonight that. we'll see. Oh, it's going to be amazing, Mitch. Thank you so much. Please come back any to any time. Sure, it was great. Any time. Well, you guys can look out for, of course, Mitch's Holiday Classic, Scrooged. Yes. I have to recommend A Very Merry Christmas because I love that. Bless you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we I didn't know, even get to it. I know. We, you have to come back. And it's because on now. I was yeah. going to say, all of you have Netflix. I know it. So you have to go watch that. It's wonderful. Yes. Um, and, of course, you can buy Ileana's book, I Blame Dennis Hopper. That's right. Uh, Mitch, I know you have some things in development that you can't really talk about, as do you. That's kind of the the thesis statement of our podcast, I think, is you can't talk about it, but it's good stuff. So. It's- It'll be wonderful, yeah. Good, It'll excellent. Well, you guys can buy Ileana's book, I Blame Dennis Hopper, now in paperback and bookstores and Amazon. It's a great read, and you should definitely buy it. Also, you can like our Facebook page and check out our website, ilianaspodcast.com. This is our last show of the season. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Have a great day. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.